0: The only purpose of the Talking Space Podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, and other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate.
1: We choose of you on, on the good earth. one small step for man, one giant
2: leap.
0: of the Talking Space podcast. This is Talking Space episode 316 for the week of April 24th, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulloch. Welcome, Gene.
3: Good evening, Sawyer. How are you doing today?
0: I'm all right. Thank you. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman.
3: I'm ready to go.
0: And uh, wait, is there somebody else here? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, Gina Herlihy. How are you?
1: Well, I'm tanned and rested and back from my trip to Florida to not watch the Space Shuttle launch, so (laughs) I'm here.
3: Yeah, we got the band back together.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's great. We're glad to have you back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so now that we've got the whole gang here, let's kick things off with... STS-134 scheduled to launch on Friday, April 29th, 2011, at 3.47 p.m. On April 19th, the original scheduled launch date of the Space Shuttle Endeavor on STS-134 was the Flight Readiness Review, where they review all the systems of the shuttle and set the date for launch. And when was that date set for, as we mentioned?
3: <laughs> it was, uh the launch was initially set for it, April 19th but as we reported here um it uh, well it it met another fate uh due to uh due to the Russians uh they decided that uh well they needed something they needed uh some time for a, a very very uh, time sensitive uh experiment to fly up on a progress so the whole uh, the mission of uh, STS-134 was pushed back a few days to April 29th.
1: As much as it was a bummer that um, I had plane tickets for the original launch date, so stuck with my original plans, there is somebody who did benefit from the delay, and that is the commander's wife, Gabrielle Giffords, today, yeah. was cleared to attend the launch. So perhaps the extra 10 days um, was to the benefit of the commander's wife.
3: Yeah, you know that that uh, you know I'm I'm hoping that that was indeed the case, and it's good to hear that she will attend the launch, and and uh, it's nice to see that she's progressing and and progressing very well indeed.
1: Yep, she can stand and um, speak in simple phrases, and the doctors feel that she is she's in adequate health and condition to travel from where she's in rehab in Houston. To watch the launch in Florida, and the family always watches the top of the launch control building. I assume that's where she'll be, and assume her position with the other astronauts' families there as well.
3: That's indeed great news for her, and great news for uh, for Mark Kelly too. So I'm sure that uh, um, I know this has been probably a bit of a distraction, but uh, he's a professional, and uh, uh, we'll go ahead and proceed uh, as normal. And uh, I'm sure he's ready to fly, and as as the rest as is the rest of the crew.
1: There's also one other important visitor that's going to be at the launch, and that's the president himself is is going to be there. And I, I guess this is the only you know, this is the third time only in the history of the space shuttle program that a sitting president has attended a launch.
3: Yeah, that's that's right. I'm trying, Who the who, does anybody have an, any well, idea who the other others were? Or?
1: Bill, I know Bill and Hillary Clinton have attended a launch. I know and, Richard
3: Nixon was one.
1: And Richard Nixon. Yeah. And that's so,
3: it. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that that signals some but sort of commitment.
1: Richard Nixon was not president when they launched space shuttles.
3: No, that's true. But he was he he was he attended the Apollo 12 launch, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Um, my guess is that it was Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and President Obama. I know for a fact neither Bush president who are Texans and were related to a certain Florida governor at the time, neither of them ever attended a space shuttle launch.
3: Well, anyway, I'm hoping this goes ahead and signals some sort of support.
0: And for the sake of everybody who goes down to the launch, leave extra time.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's what everybody was saying. We're going to probably be experiencing some, some Obama lock down there. The interesting thing, though, is something that uh, Bill Gerstenmaier said. One of the primary payloads, as you know, we've been talking about here, is the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer 2. Uh, we just devoted the last show to it. Um, Bill Gerstenmaier, during the uh, the uh, post uh, FRR uh, conference, there indicated that this is a pretty unique mission, you know, and it's a really good way to, to close out Endeavor's career. And he said, "quote This is not a run of the mill mission." He emphasized that the the information that the uh, the alpha magnetic spectrometer could probably go ahead and return to us is uh, quote earth shattering close quote so indeed this is this is going to be a good mission it's a neat way for Endeavor to go out and close out her career and hey Mark there was I think you also have have a little story for us too with reference to an experiment that's flying on Endeavor correct
2: yeah sure do uh, this is something that I heard about at one of the payload briefings back in March and uh the the i actually recorded the briefing and when I, I i missed it during the briefing and i was listening to my recording later and i heard them say something to the effect that there was a experiment in living organisms that su- survived sts 107 space shuttle columbia's accident and i went huh and i did some digging and i was hoping for the press kit to shed a little more light on it the press kit's been released it's available online Um, But I'll read from page 55 of the press kit. It's a NASA experiment known as biology, parentheses, bio, will use, among other items, C. elegans worms that are descendants of worms that survived the STS-107 Space Shuttle Columbia accident. The rapid turnaround engineering proof-of-concept test will use the light microscopy microscope to look at three-dimensional samples of live organisms tissue samples, and fluorescent beads. Now, to turn the clock back to uh, 2003, I found an article in the BBC News that said that, uh, for background on on these worms, it said that hundreds of worms that were part of an experiment aboard the doomed shuttle Columbia have been found alive in debris recovered from the crash site. I won't even pretend to pronounce the... Um, the, the, the species name of these worms, but I've also seen them referred to as nematodes. But uh, C. elegans, and that's C followed by the word E-L-E-G-A-N-S. They're about the size of a pinhead. They were in a nine-pound locker that was discovered in Texas, and this is uh, an article from May of 2003. Uh, the locker was not opened until May of 2003 or thereabouts, And they were surprised to find the worms that were held in six canisters, each holding eight Petri dishes, had survived. Uh, Columbia broke up, of course, on February 1st. But the shuttle had 60 scientific experiments on board, a number involving animals, including insects, spiders, fish, bees, and silkworms. To my knowledge, these are the only live experiments that have been located and identified, said a NASA spokesman at KSC. Along with the... uh, Worms locker, there was another one found to contain some moss from another experiment. Anyway, the C. elegans worms have a life cycle of 7 to 10 days, meaning that the ones that were found in the debris in Texas were likely to be four or five generations removed from the original space travelers. And I'm reading most of this from the BBC News article. Um, the reason that these worms are significant is that they were the first multi-celled animal to have its genome completely sequenced, and that made history in 1998. When I heard it, 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 just, it just floored me. It really did, because as horrific as that accident was, you wouldn't expect anything other than you know solid mechanical pretty much pieces to, to mate it. But here we are, and it's flying on STS-134 as a continuing experiment.
3: First off, that's quite a quite a tribute to um, <laughs> WOW. I mean, in a way, that, that kind of brings STS-107 sort of full circle, you know, with, with this one experiment that actually survived and they actually did they, Mark, do you know if they actually got some good data from that or because or, I know about maybe 80, 80 to 90% of the data that Columbia did acquire was, recover, was recovered, you know, as far as, you know, the, the downlink data, you know, that was all fine. It's just you know, from the wreckage, I'm not too sure what data was able to, to be retrieved or not.
2: No, I don't. To be honest, I don't know what the results were of uh, the recovery of these these worms. But uh, in the article, it seems like, and I've lost track of the note, but I have. Yeah, it was put together by NASA Ames, so mm-hmm. might be able to do some digging with NASA Ames as a resource and find out a little bit more about it. May get an opportunity this week talking to some of the folks at the briefings to ask them a question as to whether they can, you know, add to it. But there's so many experiments. I mean, this is just one paragraph in the uh, over 100-page press kit. So there's a lot going on. You'd have to probably talk to the party responsible for that particular uh, for that particular experiment to, to find out.
3: Yeah, but it's still a good. Uh, that was still a great find, Mark, because it, it's it kind of you know, in a way, it, it's it's nice to see that you know they're they're going to go ahead and try to get some more data out of you know out of the ashes of of Columbia. So um, that's that's a really cool find. Um, a, just to just a really quick mention here, um, as far as the uh, the launch windows for. Uh, For sts 134 in case any type of delays are required, they are clear to launch through, according to the FRR, uh, uh, NASA announced that uh, Endeavour is clear to clear through May 4th. Um, There's... Well, also, there was this one... Goofy conflict, and I think somebody unfortunately—I'm not going to mention the individual's name, uh, you know, or the or the uh, the folks or the individual that she represented—but uh, actually asked if there was any consideration about the royal wedding, you know, postponing this thing. And I'm, I'm like, oh boy, I just shook my head. And I'm like, oh boy, you poor soul. Please tell me, you, please tell me, you were asked to ask that question. So, <laughs> but no, there was no consideration because of the uh, the royal wedding, which is going to occur on the same day. But um, again, so the, the launch window is um, indeed through May 4th. So we've we've got some time.
0: Now, do we have an update so far? I know it's early, but uh, any guesstimate on the weather so far?
2: Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. But uh, the way Florida is, which isn't bad, it's just a little unpredictable depending on – how weather fronts that are affecting the rest of the country, how they move through and when they move through. But uh, I just took a look at the product that's uh, put out by the 45th uh, Weather Squadron. And uh, when you look at their ascent weather forecast, it says not available yet. (laughs) (laughs) When you go to a weekly forecast that they put out, uh, looking at Friday, it's, it's typical Florida stuff. It's partly cloudy, precip probability is 30%, prevailing winds north, 10 gusting to 15, temperatures mild, 67 low, 81 high Fahrenheit. Uh, if you look at the National Weather Service for Friday the 29th that afternoon, it's showing 50% sky cover which that disagrees with the 45th, uh, weather wing with their product. So it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, we get a couple of days out. Actually the point when you start hearing the weather briefings from Kathy Winters, the, uh, weather officer for, for the flight, that's when you can have something to, to put a little more stock in.
0: All right. So we'll hope for the best with the weather and, uh, if anything changes with that, obviously, you could check out NASA's website or our own. We'll probably have an update on that. Because we have a big announcement to make, which we just uh, we just announced over the weekend on our Twitter page. And that is that Talking Space will once again be doing live launch coverage. This time, we're certain of it. <laughs> we will be at the Kennedy Space Center for the STS-134 launch as we send Endeavor off on her final journey into space. Gina and myself will be at Talking Space Headquarters, while Mark and Gene are at the Kennedy Space Center giving us live updates. So be sure to tune in at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time to the website astronomy.fm. And join us for our live show. You can check in in the chat room and also keep listening to Astronomy FM because these shows are also replayed throughout the week. Hey, sorry, they're actually going to replay our launch coverage? No, I mean our actual uh-huh. shows. Oh, our actual okay. podcasts That's, are played. I and was going to say. <laughs> and while they're playing, you can get on and chat with other listeners live and share your opinions. Yep. So, again, the website is astronomy.fm. And that is Friday, April 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time with launch occurring at 3.47 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss it. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> As we... Shy away from STS-134, we'll move on to another event that NASA held, which is known as the CCDEV, or to put that in English, it's the Commercial Crew Development Agreements that NASA has. And this year, they've announced that companies will be receiving between $22 and $92 million to advance commercial crew space transportation systems concepts. And that money is going to Blue Origin of Kent, Washington, the Sierra Nevada Corporation of Louisville, Colorado, the Space Exploration Technologies, better known as SpaceX, in Hawthorne, California, and the Boeing Company in Houston, Texas. Gene, maybe a little bit more insight into some of these companies and what the money may go towards?
3: Yeah. The, um, well, first off, NASA's total investment in CCDev2 was about $312 million. About $270 million was awarded that day. Uh, they were awarded to uh, four companies here, uh, let me go ahead and get the the, uh, the names of the winners here. Uh, Blue Origin of Kent, Washington, 22 million dollars. Um, that is Jeff Bezos' company, and and it was kind of funny because uh, a lot of people were saying that these folks were been have been really really rather shadowy as far as what they've been working on. And and in 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 deference to them, yeah, Blue Origin has been really really holding their cards to the vest. They haven't really. Given out a lot of information. I think a member of the press during the uh, uh, the press conference, um, which was I believe recorded through NASA. I don't think I don't know if it's available on the NASA website or not. But uh, one reporter did say that uh, Blue Origin had been really, really tight-lipped. The funny thing is, the next day they came they uh, came out with finally a photograph of what were an artist rendition of what they were working on, which was essentially another another capsule vehicle. Um, Sierra Nevada uh, Corporation. Um, in uh, Louisville, Colorado, they were awarded 80 million dollars. Uh, again, this I guess is for the uh, the Dream Dream Chaser project. Um, Space Exploration Technologies, also known as SpaceX, based over in Hawthorne, California, they won 75 million dollars to keep keep chugging along with their projects. And the Boeing company, based based in Houston, won about 92.3 million dollars. And I guess this is for the CST-100 100, 100 capsule. Um, what was really interesting were the losers here. Um, United Space Alliance um, had a um, – well, first off, I knew this was this was just going to go by the boards. United Space Alliance had a, had a plan to try to go ahead and put Endeavor in ordinary, basically keep her charged up, keep her in a flight-ready status in the hopes of using Endeavor um, commercially but uh, they did not get uh, get awarded and with all due respect even United Space Alliance kind of sort of sort of thought that uh, it was really really a long shot but uh, you know here we go the, the, the one that, that really really surprised me the loser here was was ATK um, they had a uh, little bit of a partnership with, uh, with uh, uh, Ariane space the folks that launched the Ariane on vehicles Um the Ariane 5 core stage was going to be used on top of essentially what was the old Ares-1 configuration, and the new rocket that they had designed was called the Liberty. Uh, that didn't receive anything. Uh, that kind of really, really surprised surprised me a little bit. I'm just wondering if the announcement of the Falcon Heavy had anything to do with that. If I recall, though, the NASA officials there said that this is not—you know—there is going to be another another round CCDev three, and this was not basically an end-to-end type thing. Um, This was more of a—you know—different component type thing. Um, Orbital Sciences two did not get anything. They were using a—they wanted to go ahead and use a a lifting body type concept that they're calling Prometheus, I believe. and again, this this thing dates all the way back to the 1990s. Um, and uh, according to a website I'm looking at called um uh, they're basically saying here that uh, this puts um, Orbital Sciences in a tough spot. Should they continue on, kind of sort of working on this? Um, uh, United Launch Alliance too was uh, was also a bit of a surprise. They didn't receive any funding either um, for any of its launch vehicles. Um, it's but however, I, the the website here is saying that they're likely to be back for future activities. But uh, we'll just have to see what they have to do. Um, there's another company, um, I believe it's called uh, Excalibur Almaz. This company had uh, plans to use. Uh, The uh, Russian Almaz spacecraft for commercial space flights, Um, and but there were only also a couple of you know they were not giving us a lot of details either, so that also might be part of the reasons why that uh, uh, they did not receive any 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 funds, but. uh, again, the uh, the big surprise was how quickly uh, that uh, uh, Blue Origin got something out there, because again they they got a lot of uh, heat in during that uh, the, that presser about um, about being ver- really really shadowy as far as what they're trying to do.
0: So, any thoughts on where they might allocate the money on CCDev three?
3: Oh boy, that's a big one. If you had to
0: take a guess, you know if it was the same companies that applied this time that didn't get anything, any thoughts of who might get money this time
3: well, for CC dev three it's an end to end solution and uh, and and somebody's going to correct me on that, but i'm I'm kind of thinking that that was indeed the uh, um, what what they were talking about on, on the press conference. I would like to see um, in the uh, the ATK Liberty concept get something because I still think it's it's worthwhile. Um, I thought the Ares 1X test flight kind of proved that uh, that concept might might pan out. Um, obviously, SpaceX is going to get some more bucks. Um, it all depends, too, on uh, I guess on the success of the uh, the flight that they have coming up. The, I will say one thing though that dur- during during the press conference, it was asked that, and I know SpaceX is trying to go for a waiver. Um, on on the next Dragon flight, they want to go ahead and try a docking on uh, on the space station directly, and and just not just come within a few you know a few yards of the station and then peel off. The uh, there was an announcement today, no I guess not today, um, this past week uh, that uh, I think um, uh, the uh, the Russian news service put this out uh, saying that the uh, the Russians are not going to let the Dragon anywhere near the space station unless. Uh, Elon Musk and his crew can go ahead and prove that the Dragon is safe to fly. So, uh, you know, I, I know they're going to have to go ahead and make their case to the Russians in order to uh, allow the Dragon to to dock with that. And with that, I, I'm not too sure. I think that the Russians are going to probably insist on that second flight flight to stay as is, meaning just coming within a few hundred yards of the station and then peel off. Um, they want to go ahead and prove that, you know, I guess that the uh, uh, all the docking systems work before they will go ahead and allow the thing to dock. And I'm sure that uh, that they still remember what happened to Mir, um, where it, when a Progress went ahead and, and hit the station there uh, back in the 1990s. So I'm sure that that ghost is still with them, and they're they're really concerned about that. And you know, indeed, they've got some legitimate concerns. So uh, SpaceX is going to have to ruffle the uh, unruffle the, the Russians' feathers, so to speak, and say, hey, you know, we're, we know what we're doing, but they have to present that. Um, my bet is SpaceX is probably going to get some more funding. You know, they've they've proven themselves, you know, to be the um, proverbial 800 pound gorilla in, in this whole thing right now. Um, I'd still like to see uh, you know, the uh, the Dream Chaser get funded. I like that concept. That's just my my, my personal personal feeling. Um. Because, again, it uses you know, the old wings and space concept so that the old shuttle is still, you know, kind of sort of with us in a way. So maybe its legacy will live on in, in, in the dream, dream Chaser concept.
0: All right. So we will continue on to our next story, which I have a feeling there's going to be a little bit of a heated debate about this one because there was already <laughs> one last night. Now we actually get to talk about it. And that was an article that was published in the new york times it was published online in the new york times on april 23rd 2011 but actually appeared in the paper on april 24th the title a 150000 pounds pound hand-me-down yay with that they are talking about the space shuttle enterprise going to the intrepid sea air and space museum that was after the announcement that was made last week regarding where the shuttles will go once they are retired And uh, it appears as if the author of this editorial was not too happy about it, comparing it to different items weighing 150,000 pounds, including 1,100 busted washing machines and uh, 499,000 first-generation iPhones or 11,000 broken toaster ovens. So, if you've read this article, what do you think about... This gentleman's opinion who unfortunately I cannot pronounce his last name.
3: Well, I'll give it a whirl, Sawyer. Um, again, this was this appeared in the uh, City Critic uh, column uh, in the New York Times. This was the gentleman by the name of Neil Jenslinger. I think I'm pronou- I'm, if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, I apologize. But again, this gentleman went ahead and equated the uh, the Space Shuttle Enterprise OV101 to basically 150,000 pounds of well junk, and basically calling this thing a hand-me-down since it's being you know moved from the uh, the Smithsonian uh, the Smithsonian Institution and coming here to New York. Um, And he basically is saying that, and I'm quoting from the article here, the Smithsonian is going to get one of the newly retired space shuttles, one of the real ones, read on, and is so magnanimously re-gifting this one, meeting Enterprise. It's to go on display near near the Intrepid, Um, which, come to think of it, and this really riled me up again, is another federal hand-me-down. Now he basically says not to say that the the intrepid was you know sort of a um, something that uh, you know the, the federal government just piece of garbage that the federal government didn't want it has an illustrious history, but uh, basically saying. That the Enterprise is quote a bit of a downgrade. It's a prototype that never flew in space. and never docked with anything. And uh, he thought he was just being funny here. Never harbored Sigourney Weaver and slimy parasitic aliens. Close quote. Um, no, you know, no, Neil, it didn't go ahead and and fly in space. But I'll tell you what, New York is getting. No, they're not getting getting an orbiter that flew in flew in space. They're getting they're getting the first orbiter. You're getting the orbiter that went ahead and, and did four drop tests back in 1977 that went ahead and, and verified the shuttle concept that uh, participated both in checkout uh, on over at the Kennedy Space Center to make sure that every hookup to the entire shuttle stack would fit just fine. It also – Perform that task at a Vandenberg Air Force Base when NASA was considering using Vandenberg as a uh, launch site to launch uh, cargo from the shuttle into a polar orbit. Um, in fact, they they had a crew name, and I've named, and I think uh, Bob Crippen was supposed to be the commander of the fl- commander of the flight, and another uh, gentleman that uh, we did talk to here on Talking Space, Mike Mullane, was also assigned that mission. Fortunately, due to the Challenger accident, it they they decided that uh, maybe we should not be launching from Vandenberg. Um, that whole plan was scrapped, but it also contributed in a way to finding out what happened to Challenger, and it contributed contributed in its own way to finding out what happened to STS-107 Columbia. So to go ahead and say that this vehicle did not make contributions, that it's just nothing but 150,000 pounds of, of junk, I think is an insult. And then on the flip side, we have two members of the House of Representatives, uh, Ted Poe and uh, Pete Olson. I believe they're both from Texas, um, saying that uh, you know giving Enterprise over to uh, to New York was sort of an outrage, and not giving the uh, Space Center Houston any anything but flown pilot seats was also an outrage. And apparently, they want to make a move that would send Enterprise to California and Endeavor to the uh, to Space Center Houston, and and um, I'm sure if they've and I believe once Congress comes back into session, they're going to introduce legislation to try to ha- make that happen. And uh, if it passes, then you know one that signals to the NASA administrator, whoever he or she may be, um, at any time that Congress can go ahead and override any any you know decision you make. And I think that's setting a bad precedent there. But um, but two, you know it, it takes the orbiter away from New York and you know I'm sure the, the intrepid sea, Air, and Space Museum would probably go ahead and take you know the government to court over this. And you know if, if you're a sitting judge and you're reading all of this, you know this is not the first time um, New York has been you know, uh, somebody from New York has been moaning about getting a hand-me-down orbiter. There was another, um, article by uh, Joanna Malloy, which we also discussed here next week last week that basically sort of said the same thing um if i 'm a judge in the case and i 'm trying to rule you know who should get this thing it does it looks pretty grim for New York, so you know uh, i
0: it, i don't think that they would even think about overturning it. I mean they could present any law they want, but no matter what someone 's going to be calling foul, no matter what the result of it.
3: Yeah, and I'm sure the New York delegation is going to go, you know, apoplectic over,
0: over the idea, too. You think? Uh, they, they won. They got the shuttle. Houston did not. When a decision is made, usually, 99% of the time, a decision is final, especially in an agreement when you're talking about $28 million on the table per vehicle.
3: The other thing too I've noticed is that the, I, I, the 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 public affairs office and I haven't seen anything um, out of the Intrepid Sea Air and Space Museum um, it, with reference to all this argument. If if I'm wrong, let's you know somebody let me know. But I haven't. They've been very very well, dare I say, tight lipped about all of this. They have. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering a why, and and b you know how come that the 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 new. Uh, uh, head over there isn't going ahead and writing a bunch of letters and writing, you know, letters to the editor to the New York Times, to the Post, to the, to the Daily News, you know, coming on, you know, the the New York uh, ra- the radio and television stations here saying, you know, this is a load of tripe, and New York should be thrilled to get Enterprise. First of all, I am thrilled that Enterprise is going to be coming here. First, you know, and I'm I'm in the New York New York area, so I, I can't wait. I didn't think we were going to get anything. To be quite honest, I thought we were going to get a set of flown seats. To be to be blunt, and we scored Enterprise. I'm like, you know, I mean, just seeing that machine is just going to be thrilling.
1: You know, if it, Enterprise has been good enough to sit in the Smithsonian all these years, I think it would be an honor to get it, regardless of where it ends up. And personally, I mean, the way I look at it is, I mean, NASA, I'm sure, had a tough decision, but. They had to consider basically three things. They had to consider logistics in terms of um, who could they, who they could transport these orbiters to and who could display them in a proper way. Um, these sites or venues had to either present or uh, position themselves as the ability to have the correct temperature-controlled environments and a plan into how they were had to display them. And three, I think NASA is looking at it from a standpoint of how can we make these treasures accessible to as many people as possible. Now, Florida is a vacation destination. It just is. People go to Disney World. People go to Florida just for the beaches. Out-of-state out of, out of uh, state people travel to Florida all the time, all year long. You can make the same argument for Southern California. Absolutely, and New York City all the time. So... To me, and of course, the nation's capital, I mean, you know, people travel there all the time. It's obviously it's a, a number one tourist destination for Americans as well. So to me, I think they place them in positions where people travel to because that's a vacation destination. They're trying to make this as accessible as possible to as many Americans as possible. And, you know, I, th- I think New York was awarded one because that's a major factor. I mean, I, you know, from the New England area, uh, driving to New York is easy. Driving to Washington, not so easy. I got to go around New York. So, I, I, I don't know. It To me, where they place them makes sense. I feel bad for the Houston area people who feel attached to the space shuttle program, obviously mission control. Obviously Houston, you know, identifies with the space program, but how many people go to Houston on vacation just to go to go to Houston? I, I I don't know. I don't I don't I can't imagine it's a great number of people that would select that as a vacation destination over, you know, one of the other areas.
3: Yeah, Gina, I'm I'm going to echo and, and and again Sawyer, you and myself kind of sort of sat in on on the post announcement uh, press conference. Um, NASA's Olga Dominguez, who's the Assistant Administrator for the Office of Strategic Inf- Infrastructure, indeed explained that that was her point. That's what, they, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get these machines accessible to as many people as possible. And Mark, I think you said the same thing e- even before the announcement was made. I think that was your point. You wanted to make sure that these these machines were completely t- accessible to as many people as possible want to go ahead and see them. I remember you making that statement before the announcement.
2: Yeah, quite true. And, um, you know, I can recall many times in my life seeing something historic, something that was real, Israel, and being impressed with it, looking at it. And, of course, this is the way my mind works, looking at it and think, gee, I wonder how it works. I wonder what's inside. I wonder how they made it. And All of those things are still the types of questions and the things that I wonder about. I saw Enterprise last summer at the Smithsonian at the Udvar-Hazy Center, and I thought Enterprise was the coolest thing ever, you know. And some people will look down on it. They'll say poor things about its condition and maybe how it's displayed and this and that. But uh, gee whiz, it's the real McCoy. And that's the way I feel about all of them. And talking just last uh, show or two shows ago to Elizabeth Howell and her comments about seeing Apollo 7, I believe, was it? Yes. At a a museum in Canada where where she saw it several times in her uh, student years growing up and how impressive it was to her. That's the way this stuff is. And that's where I think that it needs to be seen by as many people as possible both US and I'm gonna go out and say international too because if we're an influence in the world let's be an influence for good let's do some good things even if it's from somebody from another country that's maybe gonna do some great things that will in turn inspire our children our youth our young adults our adults that's how I feel
0: yeah that's the thing because it is the original orbiter and In the discussion, Gene, that we were having last night with a couple of people online, Mm -hmm. we were discussing that this is actually probably the best education possible. Because if it wasn't for – people can actually learn now about the space shuttle, its history, how it was formed, and everything about OV-101. It's more for them to learn, and it benefits education. And if we can increase the education of the nation, it can only get better.
3: Indeed, Sawyer. Speaking as somebody that that I can't wait to go ahead and take my new my, my, my nephews to go see it, and when my uh, my other two uh, nephew my niece and my nephew come in from North Carolina, I can't wait to go ahead and show them this vehicle. And I, I'm just I'm just thinking what as a nine year old and as a thirteen year old, and as you know a, a any any small child would go ahead and take a look at this. And go wow you know uh, this is what what we were doing, and I have seen the how they're going to display Enterprise I think it I think it's going to have a lovely home over at Pier eighty six, I can't wait to see it I really can't and I I, I would hope that the opinion of uh, Neil Jenlinger which I again I, I don't even know if that's a, that's his na- pronouncing that name correctly and Joanna Malloy I'm hoping their opinions do not go ahead and basically set the bar for everybody's opinion in New York.
0: Obviously, they missed the 1983 flyby because in 1983, on top of the modified 747, the Space Shuttle Enterprise went on its little U.S. tour and in doing so, it took a little buzz around New York City too.
3: Yep, and little did we know back then that was going to be, be your permanent home.
0: One thing I find interesting with this article, though, and that I uh, have to ridicule a little bit, is that at the bottom part of the article, it strays away from talking about the shuttle, and yeah. it goes into discussions and interviews with artists who were who usually make things with quote unquote junk. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, Sawyer. I mean, it goes.
3: It just the the article just goes all over the place and that's another thing that kind of sort of torqued me off and if you're going to talk about enterprise and and the reason and the reason why you don't want it and you think it's a hand-me-down stick to the topic you know don't go off in some tangent there's four there's four paragraphs in there about artists that go ahead and take garbage and create you know you know great masterpieces with it you know Great, bully for them. I hope they're going ahead and make and have, have nice long illustrious careers. But what the devil does it have to have to do with enterprise?
0: Yeah, basically they're talking about, you know, all these people that use junk and things, so basically they just called enterprise Detritus. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And one thing that I have to admit I find amusing is that they asked these two artists what they would do if they had the shuttle. One person stated that they would open up the payload bay doors, take them off, and replace it with a glass roof and make it a greenhouse. Uh Uh, The other person said that they would drive it around the country and everybody would make their mark on it somehow, either big or small, and whenever every bit of space was filled up with someone's mark, then it would be complete. Huh. I'm... Uh First off, I don't think people realize how big it is, and number two... That you can't drive it down the street. Nope.
3: <laughs> nope. She needs help.
0: Yeah. And just there was one line I have to quote from this that just ticked me off. Talking about, you know, people going to see it. He said, um, quote, nor am I saying that the thing won't attract tourists because as 18 years worth of the musical Cats yeah. proved, tourists will apparently pay to see just about anything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's an old New York joke um but yeah I mean really yeah, I mean to equate this to equate enterprise with a pile of garbage it just it just gets under my skin and uh, by the way if any of our listeners want to go ahead and write a rebuttal here's the email to send it to I have no problem saying it metropolitan at nytimes.com so, Now's your chance. If you want to go ahead and, and send your opinion as to why you think uh Mr. uh Jenlinger is all wet, now you've got your opportunity. I know I'm gonna be doing that.
0: Me as well. I already have in the process, Gene and I both are working on letters to the editor. Mention
1: that one of the best astronauts of all time, Mr. Fred Hayes, has <laughs> piloted the Enterprise and and landed that thing.
3: Not only that, but a former NASA administrator as well, Dick Truly.
0: Four, Four brave men. <laughs> yep. For all they know, it could have crashed with them inside it and not worked. They risked their lives even, whether you think about it or not.
3: That's exactly right. Nobody really knew back in 77 if this this concept
0: was actually going to work. They proved it. It is considered still to this day a flying brick. It could have just fallen like a brick. But it didn't. So, again, you can... Read the article. There will be a link to that posted in the show notes. So if you want to check it out for yourself, feel free. And if you want to write a rebuttal, go right ahead. I know for a fact, if, if mine gets published or not, I will willingly place my letter to the editor on the website.
3: Yeah, that makes two of us.
0: So you can check out our team blog in the coming days to see that. So any final comments on this article? I know there's a lot more we could say about it. <laughs>
3: New York, you're getting you're getting the first orbiter. Be happy.
0: And may I quote something from the New York Post on April thirteenth, two thousand and eleven. Quote, We hope that Enterprise is as happy to be in New York as we are to have her. End quote. Amen. And with that, I think that brings this show to a close, so I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka.
3: Thanks, Sawyer. And just a reminder, everybody, during uh, during uh, launch week, um, I am hoping to go ahead and, and provide a lot of photographs, and uh, we'll probably going go ahead and uh, do some uh, blog entries, too, so be watching for that.
0: Certainly check our Twitter stream, our Facebook page, and our website. Thank you as well, Mark Raderman.
2: Good to be here, and looking forward to uh, this week at KSC, and anybody that's a listener that's going to be at the NASA tweet up, be sure and stop by and talk to us, find us, look for Talking Space, uh, ask
0: around, we'll be there. Yep, there'll be a big giant tent with the logo Talking Space on it. Hopefully <laughs> if you're there, you won't be able to miss it. <laughs> and thank you to Mark for that. <laughs> and thank you as well for joining us, Gina Hurley. You bet, Sawyer. I look forward to joining you on Friday for the live launch coverage. Gene and Mark, we look forward to talking with you from the Kennedy Space Center. We hope you will join us for the live launch. Again, the website is astronomy.fm. And as always, thank you for joining us, and have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.